Hello, and welcome to Living Fit with your hosts, James and Karen Roberts, personal trainers, life coaches, and motivational speakers. This program promotes good health through nutrition and physical activity. If you are interested in starting a personal fitness training program, please contact either Karen Roberts at 336-202-2313 or James Roberts at 336-707-7719. You can also contact them at Facebook at livingfit.com.co. Please consult your medical doctor before starting any exercise program or nutritional plan. And now, here's James and Karen. Welcome to Living Fit with James and Karen Roberts. I'm James. Karen will be along later to give us a fit tip. Today we want to talk about major keys to living a good, healthy life, about living a successful life. The major key is not in learning how to set goals. It's not in learning how to better manage your time. It's not becoming a better leader. Every day in a thousand different ways, we are trying to improve ourselves by learning how to do things. We spend a life gathering knowledge in classrooms and textbooks and experiences. Now, if knowledge is power, if knowledge is the forerunner to success, then why do we fall short of the target? Why, despite all of our knowledge and in spite of all our collective experiences, do we find ourselves aimlessly wondering, setting for a life of existence rather than a life of reality? There may be many answers to this question. Your answers may be different than your partners or your spouses or your friends. While they may be many answers to this question, the basic answer is the absence of discipline. Applying all that we know, that's the key word, discipline, self-discipline. We might add one more word, consistent, consistent self-discipline. It doesn't really matter how smart you are or how much you know if you don't use it. It doesn't really matter that you graduated at the top of your class. It doesn't really matter if you attend any seminar that comes to town if you don't apply what you've learned. Better than knowledge is applied knowledge. And once we've applied our knowledge, we must study the results of the progress. Proverbs 15, 14 says, The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of foods feeds on foolishness. If we apply our knowledge, study the results, refine our attitude, then we'll be able to use this knowledge to discipline ourselves. Finally, by trying to observe and refining and trying again, our knowledge will help produce a worthy result, a praiseworthy result with joy and results of our efforts. We continue to apply, to learn, to observe, to fuel our goals. With the positive reinforcement of continued progress, pretty soon we'll find that we've we swept into a spiral of achievement, an uprise to success, the elation of triumph and over tragedy, depression, and uh, adequacy. But for the whole process to work, for us, we must first master the art of discipline, self-discipline, consistent discipline. It takes consistent discipline to master the art of setting goals, to master the art of time management, to master the art of being a leader. 
to master the art of parenting and relationships. If we don't make consistent self-discipline part of our daily lives, the results we seek will be sporadic and difficult to mark. It takes a consistent effort to truly manage our value, our time. We'll be consistently frustrated. Our time will be eaten by others whose demands are stronger than ours. It takes discipline to conquer the nagging voices in my mind, the fear of failure, the fear of success, the fear of poverty, the fear of a broken heart. It takes time to keep trying when the nagging voice within us brings us the possibility of not succeeding. It takes discipline to admit our errors and recognize our limitations. It takes discipline to keep trying. When that nagging voice within us brings us the possibility of we're not going to do well today. The voice of human ego speaks to us. Uh, The voice of ego says that we should boost our value beyond our results. It leads us to the uh, exaggerate, to not be totally honest. It takes discipline to be totally honest, both with ourselves and with others. Be certain of one thing. Every exaggeration of truth, once detected by people, destroys our credibility and makes all that we say and do suspect. As soon as people around us figure out that we tend to exaggerate, guess what? They'll always think we exaggerate. You say you're going to start working out. You say you're going to start eating right. You say you're going to uh, be better next year than you were this year. You say you're going to get a trainer. You say you're going to lose that weight. You say a lot of things. You just don't implement anything. They'll never quite hold us in the same light again. They'll always say, I know, I know, he said it. But he or she never does anything. They went out and bought the new running, jogging suit. They went out and and bought some weights. They went out and they joined the gym. They went out and they uh, got a trainer. And people look at you and say, where are the results? We have a tendency to exaggerate, distort, or even withhold the truth. It is something that's built into part of all of us. Even as we mature because of fear, we respond the wrong way. In the book of Luke 22, verse 55 through 58, It says, Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You also are of them. But Peter said, Man, I'm not. Man, I'm not. 
And that's what we do. We say, man, I'm not. I didn't say I was going to do better next year. I said that if this happened, then that would happen. We try to protect ourselves from persecution. Exaggerating the benefits of a product to make a sale, exaggerating the net worth of impressive, uh, trying to impress our friends when we go to a family reunion or uh, a class reunion. We always exaggerate things. Man, I just bought this brand new car. It's great. It's, uh, you know, it. Uh, it costs this, it costs that, it costs this to put tires on, it costs this to put, uh, change the oil. Well, that doesn't make it any better than any other car. It just makes it more expensive to take care of. I've got the best doctor in town. Well, if you didn't need the doctor, you wouldn't need the doctor in town. You would need, if you were exercising and living right and doing the things you should be doing, you wouldn't need to be spending that kind of money on an expensive doctor. Advertisers constantly bombard us with false advertisement. We watch a commercial about medication that we know is harmful and that will cause us problems in the future. But we'll take it because we don't want to do what we need to do to improve our health. I don't want to get up early. I don't want to exercise. I don't want to eat right. All-out discipline assault can overcome this tendency. It takes discipline to change a habit because habits are formed a little bit each day, every day. Every day, once habits are formed, they, like a chain of connecting links, that only thing that can break this links is discipline. We must cut the links in this chain of bad habits. Slowly plan until the chain that once held us becomes nothing more than separate links. It takes the consistent application of new discipline, a more desirable one, to overcome one which is less desirable. It takes discipline to plan. It takes discipline to execute our plan. It takes discipline to look with full objectivity at the results of our applied, and it takes discipline to change either our plan or our method of executing that plan. If I'm going to change my behavior, if I'm going to change the way things have, if I'm going to change my weight, if I'm going to change my outlook, if I'm going to change my income, I've got to change the way I look at things. It takes discipline to think about the value of someone else's opinion. That's the reason why a lot of you don't pay attention to what I'm saying here. 
When our pride and our arrogance lead us to believe that we are the only ones with the answers, the discipline is a constant human awareness of the need for action and a conscious act by us to implement that action. Discipline is an awareness of the constant need for action and a conscious act of implementation that to that action. If our awareness and our implementation occur at the same time, then we begin a valued sequence of discipline activity. Now here's the other side of discipline. If there's considerable time that passes between the moment of awareness and the time of our implementation, then that is called procrastination. Procrastination, doing it tomorrow instead of today. I'm going to start next year. I'm going to start next week. I'm going to start Monday. Procrastination, an almost exact opposite of discipline. The voice within us says, get it done. Discipline then says, do it. Do it to the best of your ability today. I had to work past my delay until finally the worthy deed becomes natural. Procrastination says later tomorrow when I get a chance. Procrastination says do what is necessary to get by and to impress others. But not right now what I must do. In every circumstance we face, constantly presented with two choices. Do it now or do it later. Discipline and procrastination are a choice between a disciplined existence bearing the fruit of achievement and contentment or procrastination. The easy life for us which will bear no fruit, only bear branches of being average. The wars of disciplined life are great, but they don't happen right now. They take time. People see progression over time. The rewards for slack people, people without discipline, is immediate. But they're minor in contrast, and the the rewards are not great, like those of consistent discipline. Proverbs eighteen nine says, "The Bible says, he who uh, is slack in his work is the brother." is brother to him who destroys. An immediate reward for lack of discipline is a fun day at the beach. But the disciplined person may one day own that beach. He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the cloud shall not reap. Ecclesiastes 11.4 For most 
We choose today's pleasures rather than tomorrow's fortune. How important is your health? How important is the health of your children? How important is your relationship with God? So how can you get rid of the easy distractions? How can you uh, keep your mind on what you're trying to do? How can you keep your attitude of doing it all and doing it now? How can you make the choice of discipline over procrastination? How can you stay focused on your ambitions? How can you avoid conversations about let's have fun now and succeed tomorrow? You say you have a goal that only you can accomplish. You say that you've been told by God to do something, but you're not doing it. You've got to really work on your consistent self-discipline on a daily basis or you'll find yourself distracted. Distracted by negative people. You've associated yourself with, distracted by your doubts within yourself. Never underestimate the power of influence and association and never underestimate the power of your own consistent discipline. Being disciplined, you have to be consistent. Now let's take a closer look at discipline. First, true discipline is not the easiest option. Most people would rather sleep until 10 o'clock than get up at 6. It's easier to go to bed late, get to work late, have a reason to leave early. It's easy not to read. It's easy not to, to uh, it's easier to turn on the TV. It's harder to open up that book. It's easier to do just enough than to do all that is waiting for me to do. Trying is always easier than doing. The Nike commercial says, just do. Imagine what life would be like if we didn't have to make our bed or in the morning or keep our cars up or clean our garage or clean our house. Wouldn't it be a fascinating place in the world to, in the world to live when people come to your house and, and you got a mess all the time? Well, a lot of people already know that we're a mess. They, they see us. Like I said, we're not deceiving anybody. We, all, we deceive ourselves, but nobody else is deceived. When it comes to our health, nobody's deceived. We know that most of us are not in good health. We, we know that when we pull into McDonald's that we're not doing anything good for our health. Profitable seems to be the most difficult. Difficult. When we eat things that are fast and easy, those things are unprofitable, and we know it. When we don't exercise, we know that's not profitable. When we don't uh, mow our grass and our neighbors look at us funny when we pull in the driveway and say, you know, uh, 
when you going to mow your grass, man? When you going to trim your hedges? When you going to fix that gutter? I don't have time. I'm busy. Yet, every time there's something going on that you want to do, you're able to do it, it seems like. Our world is always uh, in a place of rewards and, and ultimate rewards. A life of discipline has a far more significant reward than one of slackness. The price of discipline or the price that we don't have a regret. We did what we were supposed to. What we wish we had done is the voice of regret speaking to us in a sorrowful tone when we go to the doctor and he says, oh, you've got cancer. Oh, you've got heart disease. Oh, you've got diabetes. Now you're working from disease. Prevention. The, the old saying, an ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure. This is regretting no chance, no what I would uh, have done differently. The price of discipline or the price of regret or the cost, the different costs, the, the regret costs pennies, uh, but when it comes to being a person of discipline, you gain a fortune. A man once said, there are hundreds of young men who would die for the truth, but very few who would spend five or six years studying to know the truth. In Acts 1.8, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Dying for the truth is much more drastic than the discipline of studying at one little piece at a time, one day at a time, one month at a time. But the big picture is dying for the truth, really, really easy than adhering to daily discipline. If you want to be disciplined, you have to be consistent every day, one day at a time, not putting more on yourself than you can do, but not less than you can do. I'm James Roberts. Karen's going to give you a fit tip. And then I hope you'll be back next week. Keep living fit and doing what matters. God bless you. Bye-bye. Hi, and thank you so much for joining me for this week's fit tip. So today I want to talk about all the protein you need without the meat. But first go to Deuteronomy 8, 15 through 16. Do not forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions, where it was so hot and dry, he gave you water from the rock. 
He fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. He did this to humble you and test you for your own good. All right, so as soon as I tell people I'm vegan, can you guess the first question I'm asked? Where do you get your protein? So protein is extremely misunderstood. And let me start by saying in the history of the world, no person has ever died of protein deficiency that wasn't suffering from malnutrition. Hospital beds are not filling up with vegans suffering from lack of protein. In fact, it's just the opposite. Hospital beds are filling up with people not eating enough vegetables. Now, I'm not saying that everyone should be vegan, but you should know that plants contain protein and all of the essential amino acids needed to build it. Animal foods are not necessary to get the protein your body needs. Indeed, all the protein you need and more can be easily derived from plant foods alone. The WHO, World Health Organization, recommends men, women, and children get 5% of their calories from protein. If you look at the protein levels of many plant foods, you will see that it is virtually impossible to fail to meet the WHO's daily protein requirement. For example, the protein of calories derived from uh, foods such as rice is 8, corn 12, baked potato 10, pinto beans 24, broccoli 43, cauliflower 33, zucchini 17, and an orange 9, to name some. In fact, Americans consume six to eight times as much protein as they need. All that excess protein overworks the liver and kidneys, causing both to become enlarged and injured. Excess protein consumption also causes kidneys to pull large quantities of calcium from the body, causing bones to weaken and kidney stones to form. One of the most uh, time-honoring approaches to healing the kidneys and liver, in fact, is to eat a low-protein diet, especially a diet low in animal protein. When the protein content of the diet drops, kidneys are strengthened and very often healed. Studies show we should be eating unprocessed carbohydrates and lots of them. Carbohydrates are the primary source of energy. They alone provide energy for red blood cells and certain cells for the kidneys, and they are the preferred fuel for the central nervous system, including the brain. Fat, on the other hand, is a secondary source of energy, and it can be used by some tissue, such as muscles, but it is more often stored for use in times of famine. Humans were designed by nature to crave carbohydrates, with their unique combination of sweet flavor, energy, and nutrition, carbohydrates regulate our hunger drive. There are no carbohydrates in red meat, poultry, fish, shellfish, or eggs, and most dairy products contain little, if any. For example, cheese only contains 2%. This is an important reason why people who eat a diet rich in animal foods rarely feel satisfied and become compulsive uh, overeaters. Unless you eat enough carbohydrate foods, 
you will remain hungry and crave more food. Unprocessed plant foods like brown rice, potatoes, squash, broccoli, and apples, just to name a few, are loaded with complex carbohydrates and long chains of sugar that must be broken down inside your intestines before they can be used as fuel. The process of digesting these complex carbohydrates is slow and methodical, providing a steady stream of fuel being pumped into your bloodstream as long-lasting energy with all the nutrients you need for optimum health, plus a high level of vitality and endurance. No meat needed. Yay. Anyway, thank you. That's all for today. Um, feel free to pass this information on to family and friends, and don't forget to tune in at 11 a.m., Today and every Tuesday to Living Fit with James and Karen Roberts, and we will be so happy to share more health and wellness information with you. Be blessed and have a terrific Tuesday. Thank you for listening to Living Fit. Please consult a physician or fitness professional before beginning any activity if you are under their care. If you would like to contact James or Karen, you can do so through the website, Facebook at livingfit.com.co or call. Until next time, keep living fit and do what matters. Thank you.